Well, after a, a first orientating sermon, we got into it last week talking about citizenship and religion. Was that of any help? I hope it was. I hope in this uh, context of our lives that there was some help in that. Today we're looking at judging and judgmentalism. Is that not a word, judgmentalism? My computer keeps popping that up in red like it's not a word, yet it's, it's a word in my life. And so let it be a word in yours. Let me tell you a story. There was a wealthy young businessman who fell in love with a... Uh, well, a professional woman he met on various trips to her region of the, of the country, and he wanted to marry her, he was thinking, but he wanted to be a little cautious, so he decided to run a background check investigating her just to know, settle his nerves is how the story goes. And the agency that he contacted sent an investigator who in a short time submitted a report. It said that the woman had an unblemished past and a spotless reputation. It said that the woman and her family held in highest repute for the longest of time. The only concern, the report added, is that currently she is often seen with a young businessman of questionable business practices <laughs> and principles. Now, we don't need a silly story to introduce today's topic, really, do we, about which Jesus taught. It's the psychological and it is the spiritual issue of our days, of our times fault-finding, judging, judgmentalism. So let's take a look at what Jesus said, try to figure it out and how it might apply to us. So I, I wanted to begin today's sermon with letting you know something like I'm going to share with you is something that I do each week getting ready for the sermon, but I thought in today's uh, scripture this was a good uh, a good context in which to share it with you. So let me share a little bit about um, attribution. Did Jesus say this? It's, it's one of the things that we're, I'm looking at each week as I lift up um, these quotes of Jesus. What is the probability that Jesus said this? Well, this is part of the Sermon on Mount sayings. It appears... Uh, in Q and Tom, you know Q and Thomas, right? You've been with me long enough. Q, Thomas, Mark, and Luke. So it's in two canonized gospels. It's in one make-believe gospel of sayings, and it's in a gospel that didn't make the canon. So it appears kind of across the platform of writings of Jesus. So we have a pretty good feeling about its authenticity. Yet... Yet, the authors of the five Gospels find the first verses of this passage 
a little questionable as to whether they originated with Jesus. Don't pass judgment so you won't be judged. Don't forget, the judgment you hand out will be the judgment you get back. How come? Eh, it's conventional wisdom. Everybody thought that. The other New Testament usages of this are made without attributing it to Jesus. Paul in Romans writes, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same thing. He writes that in Romans. He doesn't attribute it to Jesus. James in his epistle writes, there is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? So there's a rule of attribution, which is specifically that it needs to be unique, sometimes offensive, thought-provoking, disturbing, and not common. If the passage says that, then there's a good chance Jesus said it because it shouldn't be remembered because it was difficult, but it's remembered. So, higher probability of being attributed to Jesus. Now, that really seems odd, doesn't it? Because sometimes you say things that are not offensive, and you actually said it, and we could attribute it to it. I say Jesus is Lord. Everybody says Jesus is Lord. How can you prove that I said it? Everybody's been saying it. What makes you think Chip, or Walt, what makes you think Walt said it? Can you prove Walt said it? Just because it's common knowledge doesn't mean Jesus didn't say it, is what I'm saying. So, this is part of the rigmarole that's behind each of the sermons. Did Jesus really say it? The remaining verses are more likely to have originated with Jesus, scholars think, because sliver and beam illustration, well, that's kind of unique. And it's a little zingy, it's a little pointed. It's vivid, it's exaggerated, humorous comparison indicates, well, maybe, that's, maybe that is original then. The irony of fault-finding, it turns back on itself, right? It fits in with loving of enemies, forgiving others, imitating divine tolerance. So, yeah, the second part of it, yeah, high attribution. And then when you've done all that, out of the five Gospels, you run upon another commentator that just wants to, I don't know, sometimes it feels like mess with your mind as you're trying to make sense of this stuff. The first verses really ought to be attributed to Jesus because they are Jesus' absolute prohibition. He's oftentimes very clear and very stark, and these first verses are almost confrontational, don't you think? Hmm, you say as you read that. And it fits into the Lord's Prayer. It fits into his teaching on forgiveness. Hmm. And you know what? The next verse is, the next verse is really might not be Jesus as much as the early churches running with what Jesus said and putting it into application, making it work in the situation. 
judgments in the early church fold back upon themselves. You don't want to be hypocritical in your judgments because it will sting you. So, what do you do after a multiple of hours being led down two divergent paths and trying to make sense of this? Well, you say it's a lot easier being a literalist. Just take it. But then, we United Methodists aren't, are we? So, we knuckle down and we try to make sense of this, right? Either perspective, either perspective seems to work well in an attribution to Jesus. It fits the memory of what Jesus has been teaching, is adopted by the early church and run with, so it has some sense of provence. Wisdom for us to take this as words from Jesus. Now, I bore you or interest you with all of this because you will notice that there will be times in the marketplace or as you're coaching soccer or something where somebody will say the Bible says or Jesus says, and you want to think about it. You want to think about what they're lifting up. <laughs> it said even in the Bible. We feel this is pretty strong words of Jesus for us to take to heart. Why are we caught in a time where everybody is judging one another so harshly and some of them perceive themselves as Christian, wave the Christian flag and it's clear with Jesus' words that we're not supposed to be judgmental. So it's not an idle exercise of trying to determine whether these are Jesus' words. Because as Christians, friends, do we not seek to follow the words of our Lord? And do we not seek to hold ourselves accountable to following the words of our Lord. And should we not hold others accountable for following the wisdom of the divine? How do we embrace this teaching of Jesus? It's really very straightforward. This, this is not the Sunday to parse words of his statement because the words are just very clear as to what they say. Taking that to heart then, are we not to distinguish among things and make judgments? Everybody has a reason for what they say or do. Just lighten up. Is that what the lesson is? Are we not to extend, or are we to extend acceptance to all? Always. Regardless. 
People are just doing what they do, telling it like it is, being real. Hmm. When we look into Scripture, we look into Jesus' life, we see that Jesus did make judgments. He's critical about the Pharisees. Too much law, not enough spirit in a reduced kind of a way, right? Not recognizing the value of grace mixed into the whole of things. He's critical of the money changers at the temple. He's so critical that he runs them out of the temple saying that they are polluting the temple, making it a den of thieves. Jesus had judgments and he acted on his judgments. And remember the charge to his disciples as they went out on their, their missionary tour. If not received well, don't worry about it. Just dust the dirt off your feet and move along. Clearly, a judgment is being made and how his disciples would be treated. So I would suggest to you this morning that the issue isn't making judgments. The issue is fault-finding as a way of life, judgmentalism. We need to determine or we need to be able to evaluate right and wrong, healthy and unhealthy situations. We need to be able to determine that, don't we? Jesus did. Helpful and unhelpful leaders, we need to be able to discern that, don't we? Jesus did. Yet, taking it upon ourselves to blame and condemn others as if we ourselves were perfect and innocent, well, this is another thing. We end up looking like a fool, and we end up being wrong. Do you remember that book by Bennett about extolling the qualities of virtue and then soon after it was published, we all learned that he had a gambling vice. He wasn't so virtuous. Really wasn't an authority on virtue. Do you remember this Lindbergh character condemning everyone for anything and then asking for mercy over his drug abuse? didn't want to be held to task for that. Do you remember that? Outwardly religious people who are sexual predators or business thieves or simply serial liars. Matthew, as he gives voice to Jesus, does not call for the obliteration of moral distinctions. That's not what's involved here. 
Because even if you think about it, as you think about it, even the act of forgiveness, even the act of forgiveness presupposes that one recognizes that another has done wrong. As you repent, you recognize that you have done wrong. As you act, ask for forgiveness, or as a person asks for forgiveness of you, we are recognizing and extending that forgiveness that that person has done us wrong. We are to pay attention in a loving way to one another. In fact, we are to help one another move forward in their lives. To move forward in their lives of discipleship. Striving forward requires a determination of where or how you are now, a discernment, a judgment asked of you by God. The athlete if you can remember back to those days for yourself, the athlete looks closely at their performance, his or her performance, seeing things that are um, strong, seeing things that are weak and how they do their uh, activity. The musician, the artist, the architect, the teacher. We all take a moment or two to kind of look at how we're doing. How am I coming across to those students? Am I really playing that B flat as well as I should? And there is a discernment going on. There's a judging going on, and that makes it possible for that person to apply themselves a little differently or a little better to get that B-flat, to engage that student, to draw that new vision of a hospital, to actually get to the Super Bowl. And friends, in, in non-professional life, in just general living of life, this is who we are as we give our lives over to God through Christ, we have entered into a covenant with God that we're counting on God's help for us to discern our path forward. To see where it is we get in our way. Where we get in other people's way. And as we join the church, we, we covenant with one another to be helpmates with one another in that enterprise. When we are at our best as congregants of a church, our love for one another includes our willingness to help one another 
grow in their faith and their lives of discipleship. We have discovered in the doing of that that bawling somebody out is not as helpful as loving them out of the problem. So what might Jesus have been prohibiting? If it's not discernments of right and wrong. Well, I think he's talking about self-righteousness. I think he's talking about that hypercritical uh, sense of other people and the hyper self-forgiveness of oneself, self-righteousness. Some of us are so conscientious, we beat ourselves up for our faults. Most all of us forgive ourselves our faults <laughs> much too readily. And we live into Jesus' words of having the way we judge be the way we are judged to our chagrin. I think Jesus is talking about that self-righteousness that we have when we just criticize other people. I think Jesus is also talking about that sense of, of moral superiority that sometimes uh, people get, which is kind of like self-righteousness, but it's even deeper, it's even more pervasive. That they're always right or that they are always holy. And that as such, they're, they're better, they're fundamentally better than others. And so they become controlling and they become bossing of others in a moral kind of a way. And though they might not say it, they say something like, well, you know, you really can't be in our Bible study because, well, you know, we really can't spend time together because. I think Jesus is talking about that. You remember when he talks about prayer? I think Jesus is also talking about just a basic lack of personal honesty. And sometimes that's pretty scary to be really honest with yourself. Maybe that's what draws us into this problem. But there can be a lack of personal honesty at the bottom of this a lack of authenticity about who we are. Just kind of a general lying to ourselves. Lying to God. 
I think Jesus is talking about these kind of things when he talks about not judging, when he talks about taking care of the log in your own eye before you start to pay attention to the sliver in somebody else's. I think Jesus' prohibition on judgmentalism reflects the abuse of, of fault-finding among us that we seem to be in a pandemic of these days, of rampant criticisms that turn into exclusions and condemnations and punishments, a tendency to see others' faults so clearly that we rarely see our own. over which we expect lenient grace and mercy, though we give out punishing judgment. Jesus' teachings is a, uh, is a call to live in the light of the kingdom of God, this, the dawning kingdom that we are a part of constructing with God in our time and in our place in which justice is seasoned with mercy and humility, humility guides our self-perception and our relationships to others. Judgments that are made in the context of humility, recognizing the potential of our own human error and sin and expressed within the context of love, seeking to bring improvement or, or healing or reconciliation. This would seem to be where Jesus is leading us, judging and discerning for constructive growth, not destructive, marginalizing. At least, this is my sense of it for you today, for you to think about, to take home with you, meditate on, see what you do with it. Portia and the mer Merchant of Venice is given these words. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon a place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It become the throne monarch better than his crown. His scepter show the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty. Wherein does sit the dread and the fear of kings but mercy is above the sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute to God himself. And earthly power doth then show likest gods when mercy seasons 
justice. Therefore, though justice be thy plea, consider this, that in the course of justice, none of us should see salvation. We do pray for mercy, and that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. Jesus' teachings may be just what we need to learn about the real ways of grace in our lives, the grace that God showers upon us all, forgiving past, freeing for future. Let's pass that discernment on to others. Amen.